This podcast is sponsored by Equiland, a global fintech firm for the securities finance industry. I'm Matt MacArthur in Hong Kong. Coming up on Asia Securities Finance Monthly, we check out what's new in the world of Tri-Party with Bank of New York's Greg Ramsey. City's Jerry Gunawan shares new and exciting developments in the Asian markets. And in this month's Five and Five, we talk soccer, Singapore, and Stroopwafels with ABN AMRO's Sean Tan. But before that, I will try to do my best not to verbally four-putt this next topic. I'm an educated man, but I must confess, I know nothing about Triparty. But thankfully, we have a resident expert to help enlighten us. We are happy to have with us today, Greg Ramsey, Bank of New York, here in Hong Kong. Welcome, Greg. Good morning, Matt. Thanks for having me here. You come highly recommended from some of the best securities finance traders that I know, so no pressure. Let's fire up some neurons here. Would you please give us a 20-second elevator pitch to help explain what exactly Triparty is? So Triparty is a centralized platform which enables you to, to manage your secured financing and margin collateral requirements at scale. It offers ability to post collateral across 36 markets for cash borrowing, typically repo, securities lending, or margin, mostly initial margin for unclear margin rules. With this global connectivity, it really enables you to mobilize quickly, optimize across your assets, and reduce a number of risks which could exist bilaterally, such as counterparty, operational, and settlement. Now help me with some blind spots that I have. APAC has a web of regulatory hurdles, which can often limit or change standard securities finance collateral. But there does seem to be a hint of change in the air. What's new in the tri-party world? Yes, I think that's part of working in APAC, which makes it so exciting, is the myriad of regulatory regimes, uh, which can often lead to opportunities, I'm sure, in the securities finance space. uh, That's what you see as well. What we've seen in terms of collateral is a significant amount of change over the last 12 to 24 months. Whether that's new markets being supported, such as Bond Connect collateral, we've also seen a number of announcements and changes from regulators following a significant amount of advocacy. For example, earlier on this year, Korea has made a number of changes within that market space, which will ease the use of collateral or how participants can receive it, such as a removal of the investment registration certificate, as well as a removal from tax, increasing utilization of of KTBs. As well as that, uh, within Taiwan, you may have seen a number of months ago, a change from the regulators, which will allow the use of collateral within that marketplace, which is really exciting. There's still more to go, but directionally, I think it shows the intent within capital markets in APAC. Lastly, more recently, you've seen in Philippines that they're looking to expand the use of collateral. And in China, rules have been made around the futures draft law, which, although will not allow use of collateral, directionally show where the marketplace is going. So a massively exciting time to be in Asia Pacific. I think there's going to be more and more change, which will be positive, for both securities finance as well as collateral. And how do you see the use of Triparty expanding in APAC, especially for regional participants? Yes, I think the last 18 to 24 months has seen continued growth in APAC from regional participants. That's driven from a number of factors. I think firstly, uncleared margin rules meant there was a requirement from some of the buy side as well as regional participants to have to post collateral for uncleared margin rules and initial margin. What we've generally seen on the back of those participants utilizing Triparty is they understand the numerous benefits that it can bring and therefore have been looking to utilize it for raising cash for securities lending transactions 
and expanding and diversifying what they're doing. I think secondly, events early in the year have highlighted the need for diversification globally. And so we've seen a number of our clients look to expand their relationships, and many of them have looked to regional participants in order to post collateral and expand what they do. I think lastly, what we've seen is a number of local securities firms who are lending out transactions and perhaps limited what they can do bilaterally have looked to tripartite so they can increase limits and increase the activity we're doing. So again, from both a regulatory perspective and from a client perspective, APAC really is starting to become a really exciting region and it really is a growth story. What are the main benefits you see within more regional counterparties starting to use tripartite? I think there are a number of benefits with more regional counterparties starting to use tripartite. Firstly, as you mentioned, risk. And there's three areas to talk about from risk perspective. Firstly, mitigating counterparties' risk. The ability to adjust haircuts in your collateral schedules, change collateral in a very nimble fashion for exclusions, as well as the ability to operate in an efficient and fast manner. What we've seen in the last few months, speed matters. So the ability to perform collateral allocations, make decisions on your financing trades has never been more important. Second, in relation to risk, is increased transparency. Triparty allows you to provide comprehensive reporting and real-time monitoring of collateral positions. Also allows parties to have better visibility into their exposure to identify risks or any discrepancies. The third part from a risk perspective is operational efficiencies. Triparty allows all this to take place in an automated fashion. The next key area in terms of benefits from regional counterparties is global connectivity and trading opportunities that will represent. This allows them to connect their global counterparties and diversify who and how they trade. The last point I'd like to talk in this area is really growth in regional markets. As more regional players look to finance these assets in these markets, it's going to increase liquidity within the space. And so I think there are a huge number of benefits we see with the additional of regional counterparties. Let's open Pandora's box for a second. How can a tri-party agent help a collateral provider slash receiver to optimize collateral from a cheapest to deliver slash receive perspective? Yeah, a very topical point of conversation. And I think tripartite agents have a number of tools to support and enable this, depending on sophistication. For example, we have uh, simple tools which can allow a counterparty to select uh, in very minute detail what they see as cheapest to deliver, um, right through how they, their cost of, of funding ladder exists. We also have much more complex set of tools, uh, which we call enhanced continuous portfolio optimization, so ECPO, which effectively uses APIs to allow you to decide at a trade level and at a security level, which assets should go where. Now that has been a game changer for a number of our sophisticated clients by allowing them to understand and provide additional information to us to optimize their assets, allowing them to manage NSFR, LCR, and other liquidity or capital metrics very easily. Okay, I'm going to land the plane on this question. What is the difference between an Asia-based institution using tri-party? For example, can an Asia counterparty use U.S. dollar collateral? And can a U.S. dollar counterparty use Asia equity collateral like Korean or Taiwanese equity? Yes. So I think that's, that's a massive benefit to tri-party. It doesn't matter where you as an institution are based. Once you move those assets into the tri-party platform, those are then available for use across your obligations. So you can move an asset into our tri-party first thing in APAP morning, 
and that can be used right to the end of US day to collateralize and mobilize your assets for your secured funding obligations. So a super flexible tool, which doesn't matter where you're based, you move those assets in any of the markets we support, and it can be used for funding at any time and day. Greg, you are excellent at this. I would highly recommend you getting your own podcast, but hands off, this one's mine. Thanks, Matt. I really appreciate you having me here, and it's great to talk. Our next guest is a market veteran with not only years of trading desk experience, but he's currently on the product development side, Jerry Gunawan from Citibank here in Hong Kong. Welcome, Jerry. Matt, thanks for having me on the podcast. Absolutely. Now, how is PASLA actively working to help expand in the ASEAN markets? Well, first of all, it's good to see that PASLA are actively engaging with all the ASEAN markets. We have a working group within PASLA that meets regularly to discuss how we can further improve the SBL market within the ASEAN countries and work along with the regulators. Recently, we met uh, or spoke with the stock exchange and regulators during the ASEAN trips. We met with Bursa Malaysia, Singapore Stock Exchange, I declare Indonesia, as well as the Philippine Stock Exchange. I also want to mention here, thanks to Ed Oliver and Alex Prince, who represented the working group, uh, made the trip to meet some of the exchange here. Now let's expand on that. Can you break down the Asian markets that are already live, like Singapore and Malaysia? Yes, sure. There are a few takeaways from our ASEAN trip. So in Singapore, we highlight the fact that there is a lack of sufficient settlement opportunities. Currently, as you know, there are only two settlement batches per day compared to if we look at the markets like Hong Kong, where there are multiple batches. We also noted the high transition costs in Singapore market that can hinder the growth of SBL activities. So we hope that our lobbying effort can change that. And then in Malaysia, uh, Bursa recently announced the plan to change the list of eligible securities for short selling on 12th of June. The market cap threshold uh, is lowered from 500 million Malaysian ringgit to 200 million. This will increase the number of eligible names from 215 to around 350 securities. And this is expected to be updated in early July by the Bursa. And then similar issue with Singapore, we discussed with the Bursa regarding the buy-in timing and process. We noted that the buy-in, you know, start in the morning of settlement date, T2 is not really ideal. So Bursa suggested moving that deadline from morning to midday. However, as you know, as the process of applying the withholding buy-in were quite manual and there are some lack of pre-sale notifications from the market participants, we reiterated that we needed T3 to allow wider participations. And then we also discussed with the Bursa about the netting opinion. Currently, the language in the relevant regulation doesn't provide sufficient clarity on the enforceability of the JIMSLA in the event of default. So at the moment, PASLA is working with ISLA and as well as the local legal firms to further look into this and then coordinate with the Bursa as needed if changes required to the regulations. And can you share any key takeaways from the newer markets like Indonesia and the Philippines? And how are they opening up the lending markets? And are their models comparable to offshore participants? Yes, Matt. Very exciting development happening recently in Indonesia and Philippines. So for Indonesia, in April 2023, Indonesia lifted the short selling ban that they put in place in 2020 during the COVID times. So this is a very positive move from regulator to resume the SPL transactions locally this year. 
And then IDClear, which is the Indonesian Clearing and Guarantee Corporations, also recently did a soft launch for a new bilateral SBL model on the 30th of May in Jakarta. So Jason Wells, our PASLA chairman, attended the event representing PASLA to show support from international community, including giving presentations and Q&A, giving an update of SBL market in APEC, and sharing benefits of SBL to the market, which was very well received. So the new bilateral model that I declare will launch will allow the SBL transactions to be mutually agreed bilaterally between parties. This is an addition to the existing model where I declare acts as CCP for both sides. However, the new bilateral model is still lacking ability to accept uh, collateral offshore, which, as you know, one of the key requirements for offshore participants. But having said that, I declare have come a long way to get to this point. They have been working on developing the SBL market for so many years. Yeah, this is very positive move and definitely going into the right directions. So we at PASLA committed to work alongside with IDClear to support further development of SBL market. And then lastly, I want to mention uh, in Philippines, uh, the Philippine Stock Exchange recently issued a memorandum approving the use of offshore collateral in SBL transactions involving at least one foreign party. This is effective as of 24th May. Uh, again, very positive news for the development of SBL market in ASEAN as well as for PASLA, because PASLA has been working alongside with the Philippine Stock Exchange to get this offshore collateral approved for quite some time, actually. So it's good to see some result here. So I guess the next steps for Philippine Stock Exchange is to continue working the plan to allow short selling to be approved. And secondly, to get the gyms law with Philippine addendum to be approved as recognized legal agreement from the regulator and tax perspective. I know that Indonesia is close to your heart, you being Indonesian and all. Maybe we can leverage you and try and get ID Clear in Indonesia on the next podcast. They are members of PASLA. Okay, let's take one last bite of the apple here. What are the benefits or the impact of the aforementioned initiatives to the securities finance market? Yeah, some of the challenges mentioned previously really have created an environment where market participants might be reluctant to lend or borrow their share fully. This is probably due to the increased risk of facing punitive buying charges, you know, high transaction costs, as well as operational issues. So what, what PASLA is trying to do here is to leverage existing market conditions that already exist and works very well in some of other markets that are more established in, in APAC. So our goal is to continue working along with the regulators in ASEAN to move closer to international standards, hoping that will improve efficiency attract more participants, opening up new market, adding to liquidity, and of course, increase activity and revenue generation. Jerry, that was very comprehensive. I certainly hope that the Asian markets can grow like Taiwan, for example, has in the past few years. Thanks again. Thank you, Matt. It's been a pleasure. And now with another five and five segment, basically the vanity part of our program. In prior podcasts, we've spoken to recent joiners of the securities finance world in both Japan and Hong Kong. Now we migrate down to Singapore to welcome in Sean Tan, ABN AMRO. Welcome, Sean. Thank you. Hi, Ben. All right, let's start the clock ticking. 
tell the audience a bit about Singapore. All that I know is that I think gum is still illegal down there. Yes, that's right, Matt. It's still illegal over here. I would say that Singapore is a humid place with great food and warm people with incredible skyscrapers such as uh, the Marina Bay Sands, the Gardens by the Bay, as well as Esplanade. I'm sure all the audiences will be able to recognize the buildings. On top of that, it has glorious greenery and reliable public transport. And anyone coming here got to try the famous food in Singapore. One would be the famous chili crabs that is popular across Singaporeans that can be found across all the neighborhoods in Singapore. The third, second dish would be bakute. Third would be chicken rice and our famous signature cocktail drink, the Singapore Sling. And fun fact about Singapore is that uh, Singapore made racing history as the world's first ever Formula One night race in 2008. Now you work for a Dutch bank, ABN AMRO. Tell us what's the most Dutchy thing you've ever experienced. I would say uh, the most Dutchy thing that I've ever experienced is that the Dutch people are really hardworking. They work the top. There's a really good mix of culture over here at ABN. And they, their favorite drink or beer would be a bottle of Heineken because wherever there are gatherings, they will order Heineken. As well as their favorite dessert would be eating Waffles. This is a very famous uh, Dutch sweet dessert. Imagine you met your favorite soccer player while on a plane. What would you say to him? Oh, my favorite soccer player would be Cristiano Ronaldo because um, I've been watching him since young. And what's more, he's been, uh, he started his career in Manchester United. I watched him uh, develop from a young teenager boy to the good now, the greatest of all time. So... If I see him on the plane, I would definitely walk up to him to get a selfie and as well as an autograph. And uh, if time permits, I will ask him like how he became so good, what's his diet like, what's his favorite sports car, watches, etc. You know, all the guy's stuff. And um, to add on, I'm a huge Manchester United fan since uh, I was a little boy. And although they have not been so good compared to Man City, but hopefully... This manager, he's able to bring back the glory days of Sir Alex Ferguson. And right now, I have faith in him because uh, he has been doing a good job over this past year and long may he continue. There is a famous securities finance trader who will remain nameless, but he was based in Hong Kong. And he once sat in first class next to a famous A-lister all the way from LA to Tokyo. And at the end of the flight, this famous A-lister leans over and says, you've been calling me the wrong name for 5,000 miles. I'm Kanye, not Jay-Z. <laughs> so just a little advice. Make sure you don't get your superstars confused. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, securities finance is still one of the last relationship businesses. Can you give me an example of how you use relationships in your day-to-day -day trading? Sure. So part of our job involves uh, showing the best ways to clients telling them the market color of a particular stock or particular industry. Also, at the same time, solving any operational issues which they may raise. For example, sometimes they don't get the stock that they want, the rate is too high. So my job is to make sure that uh, they are happy with ABN services by working through all the difficulties with them and also advising them on the rates and uh, better can we do it cheaper for them. On top of that, I believe it's also essential to maintain good relations with my colleagues because a happy workplace will definitely make things more efficient and everyone can work towards the same goals, which is essential to a company as well. Okay, let's roll this up like a yoga mat. If not Singapore, 
where would you like to work? And no, you can't work at Old Trafford, where Manchester United plays. <laughs> yep. So for me, I would like to venture to Hong Kong or the United Kingdom when the opportunity comes. Um, for me, I always wanted to experience life overseas, soaking in a new culture, tasting new cuisines, working with people from uh, different nationalities. And for me, the reason why I chose Hong Kong is because it's, it's near Singapore. And culture-wise, it's, it's kind of similar to Singapore. The food is great. At the same time, um, Hong Kong is also near China, Macau. So perhaps on weekends, I can head there for a relaxation trip. Or if not, if I'm feeling amateurous, I can um, scale the, the mountains, the hills that uh, Hong Kong has to offer. And if I'm bored, if I miss home, then I can head back to Singapore because it's just a three-hour flight away. As for the United Kingdom, if given a choice, um, I would choose to work in Manchester, even though it's not Old Trafford, because um, Man is based there. And um, I wish that it could be my weekly activity to go to the matches every Saturday or Sunday. Thanks. It was great to catch up, and we look forward to seeing you in Hong Kong. Our only ask to the listener is, you are our lifeline. Market feedback of any kind helps. Comments, suggestions on future topics, inquiries, they're all welcomed. Please reach us at podcast at pazlaonline.com. I'm Matt MacArthur, and thanks for joining us. We'll see you on the next edition of Asia Securities Finance Monthly. This podcast was sponsored by Equiland, a global fintech firm for the securities finance industry.